This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. It's a blessing to be together and I join with the other voices in welcoming you all here. I'm very excited to be here with you and very grateful for the invitation and the opportunity to study God's Word together and worship with you, spend time with you. I cherish our time together and we're always going all I remember these times of great fondness. We studied Friday night about things that cause conflict, kind of roots of conflict. We studied last night about resolving conflict. And now this morning we're going to talk about maintaining peace. You can kind of see a lot of progression there. And the idea of maintaining peace is we cannot put it on all time. Alright? We have got to constantly work at maintaining peace. I don't care if you're talking about your marriages and your family, your relationship with your kids and once they're grown. I don't care if you're talking about your effort out in the community or at work or in a secular setting or whether we're talking about a body of God's people. In whatever context, when we're taking our part to be a representative of the will of God and stand for what's right and be the Christian that God's called us to be, we've got to constantly work at peace. Okay? The reality is We've got brokenness that's been talked about not only by in the course of the studies, but brethren in making the announcements before and after services have talked about our brokenness and the fact that we make mistakes. And you know, there's just a reality of personality conflict. Sometimes that brings struggles. And it's not always an issue of somebody did something wrong or I did something wrong. Sometimes it's just, you know, I, I met Brother Kelly and I thought, He's a nice guy. I like him. I know some of the others in his family. He kind of reminds me of them. And I, I think, hey, I could have lunch with him more than once a week and be all right. But he might look at me. I don't know if he didn't tell me, but he might look at me and say, you know, I like him. Small doses. I don't know what he said. You're precious. <laughs> some of that. You know what they heard when they said that? I like him. You know what I heard? Small doses. <laughs> and up comes the conflict. And we wrestle. You know, the hair stands up. How dare they? Got to work at it. We got to constantly work at it to maintain peace. Ephesians 4, the first three verses I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Well, how am I going to do that, Lord? I'm not worthy of him. I'm not worthy of his blood. I'm not worthy of the Christian life. I know he knows. He knows that better than we do. So he tells us how. With all loneliness. That means humble. That means I'm not better than the next person. That means I'm the low man on the trouble phone. With all loneliness and gentleness. That means I'm thinking about how I impact others. And finding ways to make that impact more meaningful and less abrasive. Hey, that's a two-fisted fight for me. I don't know how y'all feel about that. But for me, it's hard work to think about not being abrasive. With long-suffering, 
That's being patient with the other person. You know what? Sometimes in Scripture the word for patient is long-suffering. Because that means you're going to suffer and it's going to be for a long time. We're too far into this to start glossing it over now, okay? Sometimes you're going to have to deal with things that are annoying or hurtful or whatever and just hang in there. Amen. Bearing with one another in love. And love is a thread that runs through every instruction from Scripture that we found. Love. Endeavoring. Remember when I said we can't put it on autopilot? Remember when I said we've got to work at it constantly? Endeavoring to keep. And that's what today's study is about. Maintaining peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's us bonded together. That's us knit together. Not because our personality is always G-Hall. But because the Lord has called us to be together and to be one and to love each other. Not because I always get it right or because you always get it right, but because we're devoted to one another through the Lord. Our devotion is ultimately to the Lord. And so in that devotion to the Lord, that brings us to a devotion to one another. And so these are things that should matter to us. We ought to care about it. Because ultimately, our relationships with our fellow man are a reflection of our relationship with God. And that's what we're going to come to as a foundation of maintaining strong and godly relationships with others. It starts in maintaining a relationship with God and tending to that. Let's talk about that a little bit from a scriptural perspective. 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. We don't have choice. We're going to walk with God and we're going to belong to God. Then that changes our relationship with each other. And our relationship with God then becomes a foundational governance of our relationship with others. And I want to assure you of something. I hope you're really dialed into this. Peace with God brings peace with the godly. Now you think about that for a minute. And what all that implies. Peace with God brings peace with the godly. Now, it's not this clear-cut, this group of people is ultra-holy, and this group of people is ultra-wicked. Life generally doesn't shake out that way. I mean, I know there's some pretty marvelous people, and I know there's some pretty lowly people. But most of us folks that are trying to live right and do the right thing have our warts, okay? So there's some loving each other warts at all going on. So if I'm struggling to have peace with somebody, I need to start out with, okay, where's my relationship with God? And make sure that's where it's supposed to be and work on that foundationally. And then understand, if, if I'm in a good spot with God and I've got tr trouble with someone else, 
that somewhere within me or within them, or probably more likely within a combination of us, there's some ungodliness going on. Somewhere in there, ungodliness has taken enough of a root in the heart, that, and that's what's breaking the relationship. And as much as my brother or my sister might need me to help them see, okay, when they have a problem, I need to start with me. Because if I've got ungodliness in my heart and I'm starting out foundationally in my relationship with God, then before I start working on their moat and their eye, I'm going to look at the beam in my own eye, aren't I? And I'm going to say, okay, we'll get to that soon enough, but first I'm starting with me. Is there some area in this where I've got a problem? And all the way, I'm failing to love the way he's called me to love. Now, something else that also means peace with God brings peace with the ungodly. There are some people that, you know, when we encounter, this is especially the case out in the world. Sometimes there's people out there, it's just not going to work because they don't have peace. They don't want it. They, they, they thrive in controversy. They may be miserable because of it, but we can't force them to live with the same standards that we seek. And so in that case, we fall back to the, I'm doing all I can, and I've got to understand that if I'm at peace with God, there's going to be people out there in the world that hate me for it. And I can't change that. But folks, our studies is harmony within the church. And so we kind of set that aside. Certainly more to be said, but let's focus on harmony within the church. Look at how this works. How peace with God brings peace with the godly. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. This was a portion of a reading we had earlier this weekend in our studies. We're letting the peace of God rule in our hearts. That's me working on my relationship with God, feeding on His Word, prayerfully seeking this attitude where His peace rules my heart. And if His peace is governing my heart, then my singular wish is going to be at peace with his other children. Because that's what he wants. And the more his peace is ruling my heart, the more I'm going to be like him and really genuinely want that peace with those other individuals, whoever it might be. So I'm willing to work to maintain it. In Romans 13, verse 9 and 10, it speaks in more practical terms about how our love for God and relationship with God works out to our relationship with others. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is one of those passages that helps us to understand that love is not just, you know, about this warm and fuzzy feeling where we have this positive emotional response of, you know, somebody. That's, that's body chemistry, okay? That's going to come and go. Love involves a choice and a commitment and a decision that affects my attitude about others and how I choose to treat them. Okay? Love doesn't harm the other person. 
So if I've got love for God and he tells me to love my brother, then that love for my brother or my sister changes how I treat them. It governs how I treat them. So I give and I do and I serve because I feel like it. Well, there are days I feel like it. But love is learning to be that when you don't feel like it. And there are days I'm not feeling it at all. I'm not going to stand up here and try to be somebody I'm not. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's days I ain't feeling it. And I got to back up and I got to draw a deep breath and I got to stop and I got to meditate on what the Lord says I'm supposed to be towards others. And in that moment, make a choice. I heard a fellow say something the other day that caught my ears. Pretty good advice. In your moments of strength, plan for the times that you're going to feel weak. He said that. He said that. I thought, wow. I know what to do next week. Because those weak moments sometimes sneak up on you, don't they? And they catch you by the blind side. Wow, I wasn't expecting that because our emotions can turn on a dime. So what do I have to do? When I'm feeling strong, when I am feeling it, I've got to deliberately make preparations for how I'm going to respond when those other moments hit. That gives me some utility here of how I can take this commitment to love others and put that into practice. So that in that mentality, I'm working on an attitude that I'm going to try to sustain but I don't feel like treating somebody with love because, you know, after all, they're a jerk and everybody knows it and all those other things we might say to ourselves about a person that that's true about or maybe it's about a person that's not really accurate. That's just what my emotions are saying in the, in the dark moment. <clears throat> and so I'm committed to this idea of love and the way I treat others. And that means I'm going to work towards their good and not do things that are harmful. My relationship with God affects my relationship with others. And so a positive relationship with God brings peace with others. Psalms 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to suffer. Well, we love the Word, don't we? I mean, sure, we love the Word. Well, the greater degree to which we love the Word and put that love for the Word in practice is the greater degree to which we find great peace. I need a peace with others that's defined by the will of God. Brother Derek opened our service with reading Psalm. There was something in that Psalm that jumped out at me. I forget exactly how it was worded, but it's something to the effect that the trust in, in the mighty war horses is fighting. Of course, that's thinking in perspective of somebody wanting a victory. And the ultimate point there is that victory comes from God. Don't trust in the weaponry of men. And that kind of theme you find in a lot of different places of the Psalms, and you find it in God's instruction to Israel under kings. You trust God to win the battle for you, not these physical things. Well, let's take that concept and plug it into our relationships. What am I going to trust to bring me great peace? I can't depend on earthly things. I can't depend on my charisma. I can't depend on my charm. Mighty though it may be in my own estimation, I can't depend on it. I can't depend on anything but the will of God. 
And so if I put my trust in God, that doesn't mean I sit idle with cold hands waiting for Him to do it. That means I'm seeking His will. I'm loving His law. I'm loving His word. And I'm following what it says. And I trust it to bring me to the point of peace that's right in the sight of God. You say, well, now wait a minute. But what about those people with the world in their heart? Or those people of the world who are bent on evil and they're not going to have peace with you? That's why I said a peace that pleases God. And a peace that pleases God is peace with the godly. And it's my willingness to have peace with others that are not. And whether or not they'll participate, I can't help. Proverbs 3, the first two verses says, My son, do not forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. When you love God's Word and you seek God's Word and you study God's Word and you apply God's Word, that's when you have peace. And I'm going to tell you something. When our relationships are broken, we need to quit reaching for our list of excuses and start reaching for the book. You think about that. That's how we maintain. I go back to the foundation of my relationship with God and I think, where am I messed up? What can I find that I could do a better job at? Maybe they need fixing. Maybe there's a problem and maybe I need to help them with that. Maybe I need to talk to them about that. And that's a lot of what we talked about in last night's study. And that's all important. And those things can all be an act of love and that's great. But I've got to start with my relationship with God. And that's a love of His Word. And looking at His Word. You know, a lot of the vibe of Proverbs is a mother talking to her son. I, I wondered how much of this was Bathsheba sitting down with Solomon and teaching him. And he's writing the things that he remembered his mother teaching us. He grew up. My son. So let, let's go with that thought and imagine this mother pleading with her son. Keep God's commands and they'll add peace to you. And there comes a peace of mind. Isaiah 26 and 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. That's peace of mind. Now, I want to walk us through together a cycle of arguing with myself that I've had in my own head as I've walked through this and I've sought peace of mind. Because the reality is we get relationships that are bent or broken or messed up. You know, sometimes it's within my family, sometimes it's within the church, sometimes it's with people outside the church, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to do what I feel like I can to make things better. And in, in previous studies in this series, I've shared that idea. Well, you know, I try to follow the scriptures, and at the end of the day, I go say hello to this person, and I just feel like, you know, it's just something's not right. And I walk away from some of those conversations thinking, I, I think they kind of hate me. And I mean, I've already talked about everything I know to talk about, apologize where I know to apologize, and, and offered them to look, this bothered me when you did this. I tried to be humble about it. You know, we get to that spot where maybe we've messed up some, but we've plugged in everything we can think of, and sometimes it still just doesn't feel right. And I look at that and I say, all right, now what is that peace of mind that the Word promises? Well, all right, let's tackle that. 
Let's think of peace of God as a foundation, all right? We've talked about that. And the promise is, as I seek peace with God, that brings peace with the godly. But they hate me. I know sometimes that happens, and I'm sorry. That hurts. Remember the ending of our study last night, as much as it's on your part, live at peace with others. I'm doing everything I can think of. And surely I'm not thinking of everything. And surely some things I'm trying to do aren't perfect. But I'm doing what I know to do. And God inspired Paul to write Romans 12 and 18 because he knew we would struggle with some relationships. And it's like a parent comforting a child. You just do all you can. And if you can't make it work, just make sure you're doing all you can and it'll be okay. Now what I hear in that is God is accepting that sometimes there's going to be some people that they've got a moment of brokenness and I can't get it to feel like everything's okay and so I can only do what I can do. And if I walk away from that convinced they still hate me and I can't think of what else to do, then God is saying, you've done what you can do. And if I have faith in His Word, I'll believe His promises. And believing the promises of God is not just about believing He'll judge us if we give our hearts over to sin. It's not just about believing the warnings, okay? Believing the promises of God is not just about believing in Christ or believing in salvation and all that. It, it includes that, but it's not just about that. It also includes believing the implicit promise of Romans 12 and 18 where God is telling us, if you're doing everything you can do, it's okay. And your relationship with God is still intact. And I have peace of mind in that I have a confidence that God is pleased with me, and I'll tell you one of the hardest things I think there is for us to accept is that God is pleased. You know, you read those passages about you praise God, you love God, you serve God, and you'll have praise of the same. There's there's a handful of passages in the New Testament that, that infer a promise of God praising us for serving Him faithfully, and you know, that comes, I believe, in Judgment Day. I'll just tell you, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. God, worthy of my praise, praising me. You know what the answer to that difficulty is? Sometimes you just got to trust Him. If He says He's going to do it, He's going to do it. Well, what do I do when my faith is weak? When your faith is, I'll tell you what an elder told me and a few others said today who were talking about these kinds of problems. He said, I'll tell you what you do when your faith is weak. You just get up and you go obey again. You just do what God told you to do again. That's what you do when your faith is weak. You just keep walking in faith and living by faith and acting out your faith, even when it doesn't feel strong inside your heart. And so I'm going to put my faith in God's promise that He'll be pleased and that will give me peace of mind when I finally accept it and trust Him that it's alright. That I'm doing everything I can and I'm constantly searching for what else I might do. I can have peace of mind. And meanwhile, peace with the Godly will just grow. 
With that foundation of a commitment to our relationship with God comes a slurry of principles, and I want to focus on the principle of communication keys as it relates to maintaining our peace. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This is a, a really a rich passage in what it tells us to do. The word that's translated grace in the New Testament some, you know, sometimes it's the idea of the grace of God, our salvation, all the things that the Bible teaches us about that. But the word actually just means favor. And so sometimes it's like an act of grace on the part of God, but sometimes it just has to do with treating somebody in a favorable way or a way to be favored. So let my speech be with favor. And we rightly use the word grace sometimes to respond or, or to explain how someone responded to a difficult moment. Well, he or she responded with grace. And that's what we're talking about. Is responding with a, a genteel favor that reflects a great heart for God and it does not happen by accident. It takes devotion and learning and self-training under the tutelage of God's Word. But then he said, season with salt. How am I going to season my words with salt? Salt was a symbol of lasting harmony in the ancient cultures. In my kitchen, or my wife's kitchen actually, that I'm allowed to work in sometimes, salt is a symbol of when do we thaw the steaks. Okay. When we think of salt, we think of food, we think of season, we think of our functions. All that. But when the ancients thought of salt, they thought of, well, there's a symbol of a lasting peace. In fact, they would have ceremonies where two separate parties would come to an agreement about something, and in those ceremonies, both parties would partake of salt. They would share salt with each other as a symbol of the fact that this covenant we made, this agreement we made, is going to last and it's going to bring peace and it's going to benefit us both. So woven into the fabric of first century culture is this idea when he said let your speech be with grace seasoned with salt. He's saying say words like you're sitting down in that ceremony and you're sharing salt with one another. Say words that seek lasting peace. Now, I'm going to tell you something else about salt. I don't think the ancients were aware of this. This is something that's been discovered in uh, modern biochemistry. If the ancients knew about it, they just knew it by experimentation. But salt blocks bitter flavors. In, in the biochemical function of your taste buds and the food we eat, that's one thing that salt does. Now, let's think about foods that some of us enjoy and some don't. I like broccoli. Some of you may not, and that's okay. I like Brussels sprouts. Some of you may think that's insane, and that's all right. But those items do have a bitter flavor to them. That's part of the flavor profile of a, of a good Brussels sprout, is it has a bitter taste to it. So, I salt it. Or I crumble up a little bacon. Salty. And that makes that 
tells us about the bright taste of heaven. And here's why. It's not because the unsalty has become salty to my palate. I may like salty. But that's not why it makes the Brussels sprout taste better. It's because it's slowing down how much of the bitter stuff in that thing my tongue is tasting. And it's letting my tongue taste the other flavors in there that are more pleasant. Now, whatever the ancients did or didn't know about how salt works and the way it seasons our food, God knew it when he inspired the hand of Paul to write this. And so you think about the way we say things. And let's think about trying to figure out how to say things with some good blockers, okay? And somebody somewhere has probably already thought of that old saying. Maybe they need a little salt to eat with that crow. We use that saying sometimes to, if somebody's going to have to learn or realize something that's sort of unpleasant to them, it's the idea of saying things to help them kind of absorb that difficult moment and make it easier for them. And that's how we need to learn to talk to others. So let's think about how we communicate. Be a good listener. The first key of communication starts with what you hear and how you hear. Proverbs 18 and 2, a fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. The fool approaches a conversation not with the idea of I'm eager to hear what that person has to say and I want to really understand it. The fool approaches that conversation with I can't wait to tell them what they need to hear or whatever. Now it's not wrong to have things that you want to say. It's not wrong to want to communicate those things. Sometimes it's wrong not to. We talked about that some last night. We need to talk. But let our talking start with listening. Maybe in small doses is not really what they're 
the main thrust of what they're getting at. Maybe what they're getting at is really they want me to know that they have figured out how to enjoy time with me in their minds. That, that's a victory, you know. Okay, let's take the good in there. Let's try to understand them. Let's try to see their point of view. Maybe it seems wrong to us, but it won't kill us to listen in light of Scripture, in light of what we know to be right. But then there's another stage. If this one is hard, and this one depends on the other person to a certain extent, but that's how I need to make them feel heard. Sometimes, you know, we can stop talking, we can hear the words, we can try to understand, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that other person is going to feel heard. So I need to do what I can in the conversation to assure them that I'm really working on understanding what they're saying. That I really want to hear it and I really want to know where they're at. And maybe they don't feel heard because, you know, they've got a chip on their shoulder or something's going on with them. And, you know, they've got to do their part. I understand that. But focusing on doing my part, as I try to maintain peace with others, it seems to me like letting them feel heard and really trying to understand what that other person is saying goes a long way towards maintaining peace. So I want to be a good listener. Proverbs 27 and 12, uh, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Well, we've used that a lot to describe friendship. Well, let's delve into the word picture a little bit of iron sharpening iron. I think maybe at least some of us have seen a blacksmith at work Years ago, in Southeast Colorado, there was a brother who sent passed away, and he was a, a community blacksmith, among other things. When that art was kind of fading, he, he still managed to put together enough business up there to make a cattle. So I fed his family. I went to his shop one day and watched him work a little. One of the things that impressed me about his craft, and as he took people's you know, plow chisels and different farm implements and things like that and worked on those and all that. The bottom line of what he was doing was sharpening them. What really impressed my mind about that was that process involved a lot of heat and a lot of friction and a lot of pressure. And he had this one device, it was a, it was a power hammer basically, that when he cranked it up, I think it was a pedal operator design. Some of you may know more about these machines. But when that thing got really going, it was just, just sitting there pounding that metal that he had heated up in the fire, and then he got it under there and just bang, 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 bang. And there was pressure, and there was friction, and there was heat all over the place. And that's what was required to make that tool what its owner needed it to be. And that's the imagery that God used to make me understand what it means to have a good friend. So the next time someone's got me back in a corner in my way of thinking, and they're telling me things that are uncomfortable for me to hear because it's about me and my weaknesses, instead of being so defensive, instead of trying to make all the attention about how much is, this is hurting me, how about I stop and realize that God has plainly told me that my good quality friends that help me be a better man are the ones that put me to heat and friction and pressure. And those are the friendships I've got to cherish. And they're the ones that I've got to seek. 
Because when love is driving that engine that's pounding on me, when it's it's not vindictiveness, when it's love, that's a friend that will help me. Okay? And I need to understand as I approach my friendship with other, others that things that I might say and do that would benefit them might make them feel this way. So I've got to get the salt out. See, it seasons one million of salt. It kind of works both ways there, doesn't it? When it comes to communicating, we think about our response. And in response, we've got to think first. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. We've got to get it all full automatic somewhere along the way, guys. And then back off the trigger. And let's just, you know, instead of being a machine gunner, let's be a sniper. And by that, I mean instead of just firing off as many words as we can all at once like a machine gun shooting bullets, let's stop and let's be like the sniper that's patient and takes his time and thinks about his next shot. And let's think about that with our words. Let's think carefully about what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. What that would help us do, we talked some about emotions in the previous two studies, that will help us respond in a thought-based, godly, conviction-based way instead of respond in an emotionally-laced way. And I need to respond softly. A soft answer turns away wrath. But harsh works stir up anger. Proverbs 15, 1. Proverbs 25 and 15 puts it this way. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks the bones. That's so counterintuitive. We think of the thing that breaks the bone as a hard hit, but he said it's a gentle tongue that breaks the bones. So let's think about that as we think about how to respond. And how to communicate when we're communicating with others. We need closure when it comes to solving problems, and we need to promote a culture of closure. One of the things I've observed in seeing strained relationships or broken relationships is as people do things to work towards solutions, I see a lot of times people struggling to find a sense of closure. That are okay, it's, we, we, we've done what we can, and then move on. Things are better, let's move on. Closure. So let's talk about having closure. Story in 2 Samuel 3. The house of David and the house of Saul had been at war with one another for a long time. It went all the way back to early days when Saul had turned against David. Unjustly so. And the war that followed just was relentless. And after Saul died, his general, named after, finally said, this is ridiculous. We're going to put an end to this. And we're going to bring Israel together. He had a heart to solve the division among God's people. So in 2 Samuel 3, verse 17, Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. For the word is spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron. All that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So he's a peacemaker. He starts out with the ones 
They were kind of on the peripheral of the controversy. Then he goes to Benjamin, which was Saul's tribe, and so he's going to the people that are in the middle of the other side. And he's saying, look, guys, let's, let's put a stop to this. Let's all rally under David's leadership. And then he goes to David and says, here's what I managed to convince everybody else to do. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David and Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And I'm telling you, that is a beautiful moment. A lot of Israel's woes ended that day. Now, those of you who are familiar with the story, know that right after this, one of Zechariah's sons got the brilliant idea to kill Abner, and that really put things in, in, in a threat to this newfound peace for a while. But they've got to figure it out and worked out. What I want you to notice here is that when they solved the problem, they communicated to the rest of God's people that the problem was solved. And that's why Israel was able to come to peace. And we've got to be able to communicate clear solutions when we come to those solutions. But it's complicated. Proverbs 17 and 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So there's a natural tension here. On the one hand, if there's been a problem and we've worked hard and come to some solutions, we need to be willing to communicate that, hey, that's fine, so let's move forward. But on the other hand, we can't always talk about the details and the particulars of that solution because there are some things that we can't repeat. Here's what this looks like a lot of times. Sometimes we're the one that's standing on the outside of the controversy. But we know what's going on. And we want to know, we want peace of mind, we want assurance that it's past us. That there's no longer a problem there. Of course we want to know that. Sometimes all we get to know is it's dead dog. That's all we get to know. We don't get to know all the details because the persons that might know those details might be bound by love to not repeat it. And so they're saying as little as possible to try to communicate the clear solution, but they can't say everything, and we've got to be willing to accept that. And we've got to be careful. This is really tricky. Proverbs 26, 17, He who passes by and meddles in the quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ear. Tell you the whole thing about taking a dog by the ears. Like grabbing hold is not the hard part, it's letting go is when it gets tricky. Think about that. So we, we care, we're concerned, and sometimes brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ calls upon us to step in and help. Sometimes we've got to do that, but be careful. Because it might be something that's outside the realm of what's our concern other than just. Praying and trying to be there if someone needs you. And we've got to be careful about probing and prying and you know, want to know more than what might be appropriate. I'll just tell you, it's sometimes it's just really hard to know how much to say or not to say. And sometimes it's really hard to know if you're sitting on the outside how much to ask or not ask. So let's acknowledge that struggle with one another and give each other the benefit of the doubt. Remember the 
golden rule, Matthew 7 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do, you do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets. Treat others the way you want to be treated. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4 warns us about the type of person that is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions. So he warns us here about evil suspicions. King James says evil surmisings. You know what that means? That means jumping to conclusions that are critical of others when you really don't know for sure if that's the story. So we've got to be careful, don't we? Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt. And let's forgive. I want to give you a parable that Jesus gave about forgiveness to help us understand forgiveness. Matthew 18, beginning at 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, he was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay his master, commanded that he be sold, but with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. So Jesus paints a picture of somebody who has an impossible level of debt, asking their master to forgive them that debt. The word translated 10,000 there indicates a countless amount, or it can. It's like us using the word million. I might say, well, I've been through this a million times. Well, doesn't literally mean a million. That just means it feels countless and endless to me. And that Greek word that's translated 10,000 carries that same idea. So it might be precisely 10,000, or it might just be, it, it's a magnificent amount. <clears throat> if, if we're talking about talents of gold here, a talent is a certain weight. That's 7.5 million ounces of gold. That's in 2014 prices, which is when I first looked all this stuff up, that's about $9 billion this guy owed his master. <laughs> now let's put that in perspective. The imperial taxes of the following Roman districts in that day, Judah, Idumea, Samaria, Galilee, and Korea, during the first century, totaled about 800 talents per year. That's all five of those together. So doing that with the math, this man owed a total of 12 times the five regional Roman government budgets combined to his master. He had an impossible debt. Now I'm just going to tell you, that in the parable symbolizes my debt before God and your debt before God that he's forgiven. Now I know sometimes when we talk about sin debt, we might think that whatever we've done wrong against God is not as bad as what somebody else did to me. And it's not just about what somebody's done, it's who they've done it against. And any sin against God is bigger than the biggest sin against others. Because of who it's against, not just what was done. Our debt against God for sin is immeasurable. And that's what this is about. He went on to say, the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Well, Lord knows how to paint an ugly picture of how we sometimes act, doesn't it? Because this is our failure to forgive others that we should forgive. The fellow servant owed him a pittance. 
100 pence was about 13.75 ounces. That's how much he owed. The man owed his master originally about 550,000 times what the fellow servant owed him. So Jesus is painting a picture of proportional debt. We've sinned against God way more than anybody else has sinned against us. That's his point. So when his fellow servants saw that he had been done, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he would pay all that he had, was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart, who does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The next time I'm focused on how much it hurt and how hard it is to forgive, I need to remember God has forgiven me more. Way more. Immeasurably more. Start from there. That's what Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness. And the blessing of all of this ever maintaining peace is summed up in Psalm 133 and 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's nothing more beautiful than a picture of God's people at peace and harmony. And that's what we want to work to maintain. I pray these studies have been a blessing to you and will help us all. The preparation of these has certainly helped me a lot, and I hope that conveys you from the power of God's Word. As we close our study, we want to offer an invitation. If you desire to become a Christian or if as a Christian, you need the prayers of the church. We're ready to assist you in either way. If you'll come while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.